podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick and joining me from an undisclosed luxury holiday location is Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? Wondering where the luxury bit has gone, but otherwise pretty good. <laughs> Listen, you highly paid journalists, I know you don't slum it anywhere. Uh, how, how is the holiday going? Are you feeling refreshed? Oh, I, I, I can think of nothing I'd rather do than talk about Nottingham Forest, Liverpool. I'm so refreshed. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, what else would you rather do? than talk about Steve Cooper's Nottingham Forest, who currently sit third from the bottom of the Premier League, are in fairly turgid form, having lost their last three games. They're without a win since the 5th of February. They've lost seven times in the last ten games with three draws. Now, they have taken one interesting... I scalp isn't the right word because you don't get a scalp for a draw, but they did draw with Man City, which was uh, was quite interesting. But I think their undeniably their best result of the season uh, was their one nil home win over Liverpool back on the twenty second of October. Liverpool had stumbled into that game, stank the place out, and Teo Awanee, former Red scored the winner, quite a scruffy goal if memory serves, uh, to give them a a 1-0 lead. Carl, they spent an awful lot of money in the summer and they bought an awful lot of players. Now, they needed most of them because a lot of players had left the club because they'd either been in on loan or they were out of contract or whatever the situation might be. But... It hasn't gelled very well. And then they went out in January and brought in another load of players. But let's start with the summer. <clears throat> Is there, There's no... As Chelsea are showing us right now, when you bring in a, basically a brand new team, it, it just isn't going to work in this league, is it? You do need some sort of continuity. Well, yeah, I think the important thing is that it's not going to work in the short term. Um, and for a club like Chelsea, I mean, obviously this is a dismal season for them and it will remain so for all eternity, but they have the capacity to bounce back. Better players, more finance, blah, blah, blah. You know, a one season terrible campaign for them isn't the end of the world. To be perfectly honest, they'll just keep going. But for a club like Forrest, newly promoted as they were, you have a terrible season, you're gone again. It, you know, after, it took them couple of decades to get back in the top flight this time around, the the concern obviously there would be that the same thing happens and they don't get the chance to have that continuity, to have the sustained uh, run in the top flight or to really build a first choice team or anything like that. So it was very, very risky. I, I get what you're saying about it was necessary in terms of the quality level and I agree. So on the one hand, you've got the fact that they've had a go, but I mean, this was excessive, I think. I I, I thought that at the start. We spoke about it at the start of the season, and I said that Steve Cooper's biggest job here is not going to be anything tactical. It's going to be team building. It's going to be Mm. gelling the players to get a squad. And then when he's halfway got there doing that, then they brought in another batch of players, and you've got to do the exact same thing over again. So it's a very, very difficult job to do. I mean, even, let's say, a first-choice goalkeeper, for example, you would think that if you bring in a goalkeeper, that's th- at least that one's set. You haven't got to worry about anything else. You've got to do the stuff in front of you. But even that hasn't happened to be the case this year. You know, defender, yeah. an, an injury, ineligibility in a few couple of games, obviously. Then you bring in Kayla Navas, which is fine. But then 
everything changes again. The relationship between the defense, which had been being built, restarts all over again from scratch. The Even the style of goalkeeping, a little bit similar between the two in terms of some of their best traits, but still not the same goalkeeper, still not the same manner of doing everything. And you're basically going to play half a season with one keeper, half a season with another keeper. They really have got two separate seasons here. And so far, we're not all the way through the second half of the season, but so far, the first half was actually better than the second half. Yes, yes, it was. If we, if we look at the first half of the Premier League season, obviously they had the poor start, but they did um, they did win one and draw one of the first three. Then they were starting to put a decent bit of form together before the World Cup break. They came back into the World Cup break in good form, and <clears throat> when Henderson got injured they really did start to struggle. Now, we know Keylor Navas is a good goalkeeper, but like you said, there's relationships and trust that have been built up over that first half of the season. But I think if Forrest do go down, the thing that's been overlooked, and I think will be the primary factor in their relegation, is they have had so many injuries this season. But they bought Biancono in the summer. He hasn't played. He's been injured. He tore his ACL. They brought Chris Wood in in January. A couple of weeks later, he gets injured. He's done for the season. Willie Bolly's had two big injuries. Serge Aurier's been in and out of the team because he's been injured. Henderson's obviously been injured. Ryan Yates has had a number of injuries this season. Czech Coyate missed a big chunk of the season. and They don't know if or when he'll be back. Omar Richards hasn't kicked a ball for them all season. Musa Niakate, who at the start of the season looked like an absolute gem of a find for them, he was out, was meant to be out for a month with a thigh injury and ended up missing nearly five months. Like they've just had a lot of injuries. Awani missed time with injury. Emmanuel Dennis missed some time with injury. And then obviously some of the signings just haven't settled straight away and haven't produced at the level that they were expected to produce. Again, Emmanuel Dennis would be the the primary one I'd look at. They paid quite a bit of money to bring him from Watford. We saw him last season for Watford look very comfortable in the league and put put together an, an impressive season, but it just hasn't happened from this year. I would say the same with Iwani. There's been flashes... There's been moments where he's looked good. But overall, he just hasn't delivered for them. Jesse Lingard, the same. I mean, they didn't pay a fee for him, but they paid him big wages. And he hasn't delivered. Mangala's been up and down. Freuler's been up and down. The only one of the players they paid big money for, who I think has delivered consistently for them, is Morgan Gibbs-White, who I think has, under the radar, had a very good season for them, surrounded by a, a group of players that that looked like they'd never played together before at times. And you said that Steve Cooper's biggest job was to build the team, and you're right. I think that's why they kept him, though, because he had some experience with this. He'd obviously been involved in the England underage scene for a number of years, and every squad is a new squad, more or less. So he was used to putting players together on short notice. At Swansea, he had good success getting them to the playoffs twice, with squads full of loan players and players brought in on freeze. So he was building new teams each year. Then he took over Forrest into the season when they're looking like they might go down to the to League One. And he's able to build a team. But for this season, I think the injuries have just meant that he hasn't been able to consistently put the team he wants to put out on the pitch. And therefore, it's almost like every week he's having to introduce somebody new. Yeah, that has definitely been a factor. I mean, there's no continuity in the start lineup whatsoever. Now, partly that is injuries, partly it's the size of the squad and you have to give players chances, keep them happy and all the rest of it. But I mean, you know, 31 games into their season, there are only three players who have started 20 league matches. I mean, that, that's not a lot. Like, you know, when we compare it to 
You know, we've spoken about Arsenal, for example, at the opposite end of the table, the continuity they've had. Obviously, it's different in terms of, you know, three years down the line into Arteta, but that relentless same lineup that they have week after week after week, take away any, you know, quality level, that alone makes such a big difference. Think of at the bottom end of the table how Burnley stayed up year after year under Sean Dyche. It was basically 14 players for about three years. I mean, it was a very big part, a big component of what kept them afloat, what made them competitive, what made them able to grind out results and be dif- difficult to beat. Forest don't have that. They don't have that difficult to beat uh, factor about them because there's no partnerships. There are no uh, real continuous areas of the team even. You know, you talk about Gibbs White, Brennan Johnson's another one of the, the yeah. three who have played over 20 league matches. They've started 29 and 27 league matches this season. That's basically it. That's the only yeah. real partnership or combination or area of the pitch where there's been any kind of consistency about it. Um, it and, and you can see it as well because they do have a really good link up. Yeah, they do have a good understanding there. And like some of the time you can see it in some of the areas, but it's not a lot. You know, you're still talking about a dozen to a dozen and a half matches where people might have played alongside each other. Yeah. It's not very much at all. So when you're talking about centre back partnerships or you know changing to the back three and back to a back four these things do take a little while even when you bring in one new centre back and try to integrate them into the team that takes a little bit of understanding when you've got all three of them anew or two of them anew and Joe Worrell is the other one yeah you're not going to have it overnight and it is a real struggle for them that's the thing like at centre back this season we've seen Steve Cook Joe Worrell we've seen Nick Hathaway We've seen Czech Koyate play there in a couple of games, Scott McKenna, and Felipe, who they brought in in January. So it's been constant mix and match. Oh, and Willie Bolly, obviously, as well. So it's just been constant mix and match at the back. And as a newly promoted team, the one thing you kind of need to nail is having goalkeeper and centre-backs settled, embedded, good relationships, good communication, and good trust between them. And that's an area Forrest have not been able to hang their hat. And for Cooper, who kind of cut his teeth as a, as a, as a defensive-minded coach, and the basis of his Swansea teams and the Forrest team that came up last year was having that settled back, th- well, back three system last year, back four at, uh, at Swansea where he could just put them in the team each and every week and he knew they were going to be okay. He knew they would give him what he needed and then he could build from that platform that they were providing for him. This season he hasn't had that. This season he's had to mix and match and juggle things because of injuries, because of form. Worrell's looked like maybe the Premier League is a little bit too much for him when he's had to play in a three. Now I think he's looked better in a four. But in a four, then there's other issues because you've got to have a better relationship with your fullbacks. And Nico Williams hasn't performed this season. I think it's fair to say Serge Aurier has been the the better right back for them. But he's had injury issues. And he arrived in questionable shape, having, you know, had a bit of a weird footballing journey the last couple of years. And then at left back, you've had a situation where they brought bought Omar Richards to be their first choice. He arrived with a stress fracture in his leg. He hasn't kicked a ball all year. They brought Harry Tofolo to be a backup. He's had to play too much, and he has looked like the Premier League might be a step too far for him. And they brought in Renan Lodi on loan. And Lodi's a good player, but the thing is, when you bring in players on loan, you often don't get a full level of commitment from them until they know for certain whether it's going to be a permanent move or not. That's the impression I've gotten from Lodi a few times this season, is that he's not fully committed to... He's not willing to risk an injury for the good of the cause. Um, I, I, when I was going through the centre-backs, I missed Loic Bade, who, who didn't play, but they did bring him in, and they brought him in with the idea that at some point this season he was going to step in and be first choice. Whatever happened with him and Cooper, I don't know, but he was sent back from his loan uh, quite abruptly in January. 
and has since moved on and uh, he's at Sevilla on loan now. But um, it, yeah, it's just it's very hard to accomplish anything in this division when your defence changes on pretty much a weekly basis. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, and then, like you said, you add in the goalkeeper behind them. That's another thing to, to get to grips with really, really quickly. Then you add in the central midfield has changed relentlessly in front of them, whether it's protection, yeah. whether it's build-up play, whether it's creativity through the centre. It, it is just a very, very pick-and-mix sort of selection process that they've had, obviously with reasons. I'm not saying he's doing it randomly, but when you haven't got any kind of consistency, it's tough to have a, a, an identity as a team. You know, the, the build-up play when, let's say, Renan Lodi is playing left-back is completely different to when Harry Tafolo is playing there. What you, your your outlet as a wing-back might be fairly similar for Nico Williams and Serge Aurier, for example, but the delivery and the manner of delivery is not at the other end. Aurier is going to hug the touchline and try and cross from quite deep. Nico Williams is much more inclined to pass in field and go for a 1-2 or try to drive in towards the box. It's different again. Um, so there's there's... Obviously, there's lots of talent there because it's such a big squad. There is talent, but that doesn't really do anything by itself. You need a team. You need a real commitment to the cause is one of the parts, but a work ethic to try and make those relationships happen is another. I don't see that from all of those players, to be honest. Um, Some of the defensive combinations, I think, look like they could be okay in terms of partnerships, but then there's individual errors in them. Like you say, Worrell. I think has been pretty decent when he's been playing in a four, but when he played right at the three against Aston Villa, torrid time, absolutely torrid time. Nierkate and Felipe, I think, could be decent as a partnership, but Felipe has so many errors in his game. He's really rash. He's never been a consistent defender. Yeah. So, you know, when you're down at the bottom, you can have 85 minutes of a good game and then concede with two minutes to go because of a defensive error and suddenly you're still in the bottom three. They can't really afford that. So, it's it's a very difficult position that they're in. Um, they've put themselves in it with some of them. I mean, you mentioned Jesse Lingard. I thought it was a terrible deal to begin with. I think mm. it's an even worse deal now. Not a single goal, not a single assist in the league this season. I mean, for a flagship signing as he was at the beginning and the wages that they're paying him out, that has been a dismal one. And there's, he's far from the only one. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when they signed Lingard, it, it seemed like he had... He picked Forrest over West Ham. Now, I assume part of that was it was easier for him to stay sort of based in Manchester and travel to Nottingham. You know, maybe daily, maybe he just took an apartment and he can still go home when he has days off. But it seemed like he picked Forrest because maybe there was guarantees made over how much he might play. And with the World Cup coming up, he probably still had ideas that he could make the World Cup squad, which wouldn't have been outlandish for him to have because he is somebody that Gareth Southgate has used a lot over the years. But he just hasn't delivered at all. And, you know, you look at that midfield and we've seen, again, like in defence, we've just seen so much turmoil and, and, again, mix and match of of very different types of players. Yeah, like, that's the big thing, I think. They're very different styles, all of them. Yeah, like you've got Mangala, Shelby, Callback, Koyate, Yates, Froiler, and now since January, Danilo as well, plus Gustavo Scarpa, who was brought in, who's a good player, but I didn't really understand the signing when you already had Gibbs White and Lingard as kind of number 10s. 
But you know, if you if you're if you're a defender and you're playing one week, and in front of you there's a midfield three of let's say Mangala, Froiler, and Daniel, and you play with them one week, then you play with them the next week, you start to find a bit of a rhythm with them, and then all of a sudden, Mangala drops out and Ryan Yates comes in. Well, he's a very different player and he wants the ball in different areas. And then let's say Freuler drops out the next week and you've got John Joe Shelby in there. Now the midfield is completely different because you've got two totally different players than what was there before. They want the ball in different areas. They've got different strengths and different weaknesses. And in the case of John Joe Shelby, the most notable weakness is that he can't run at all. He is a stationary player. And that creates new problems for your defensive players because now they have to be more aware of the fact that people are going to run off the back of John Joe Shelby and he's not going to deal with that. So you're now going to have to deal with that as well as the players you're already assigned to mark. Up front, I mean, Awani is one type of striker. Emmanuel Dennis is another type of striker. And then Chris Wood is something completely different. So if you're one of the providers like Nico Williams, like Renan Lodi or like Morgan Gibbs-White, you're consistently having to overthink what type of ball does this guy like. When you see Gibbs-White pass to Brennan Johnson, it's automatic. He knows where Johnson wants the ball. He knows where to put the ball. He knows he can overplay a ball a little bit because Johnson has that speed to get onto it. He can't overplay a ball if it's to Chris Wood, because Chris Wood can't run. So every single bit is just hampering them. And we're seeing it in the results. I mean, since they beat Leeds on the 5th of February, they lost to Fulham, which is fine. Fulham were, were, were playing really well at the time. Then they drew with City. It was a good result. They got walloped by far, by um, West Ham, which was a dreadful result because West Ham were really poor at the time. They drew at home with Everton. It's whatever. They lost away to, to Spurs, lost at home to Newcastle. They're not bad results because they're two teams in the top five. They drew at Wolves. Then they lost to Leeds. And Leeds looked hopeless themselves at the time. They lost to Villa. And again, not a bad result because Villa are playing really well at the moment. But the weekend they lost to United, and again, the result isn't the issue here, because United should beat them. United are a much better team than Forest. But the performance, we're into April. That's game 31 of the season, and Forest looked like a group of lads that didn't know each other. They didn't know, look like they knew what to expect from their teammates. You're 31 games into the season. And in that game, he's lining up with Keylor Navas in goal, you've got a back three of Felipe, Niakata and McKenna. That might have played together maybe twice prior to that game. Then you've got uh, on the right wing back, it's Nico Williams. Left wing back is Renan Lodi. You've got Froiler and Danilo as a two-man midfield. Again, hadn't played a whole lot together as a two. Gibbs White behind Brennan Johnson and Awaniye which is the strike pairing and 10 that they wanted to begin the season. But because of injuries and form, we haven't seen them together all that often. Like the week before, Joe Worrell played in the back three with Felipe and Niakate. So Felipe and Niakate had a new partner and new positions because they both had to shift positions when Worrell dropped out and McKenna came in. You had Harry Tofolo as the left wing back. You had Coyate and Shelby as a central midfield pairing, and Danilo played advanced with Gibbs White behind Brennan Johnson. So from one game to the next, that's massively changed. Everybody, bar Nico Williams and Keylor Navas, is playing a different role. Everybody. And even Nico Williams has to adapt to a different type of centre-back behind him. So Keylor Navas is the only one. And he's got completely different defenders in front of him. So you just, you're not going to win games when this happens in the league. You've got to find 
a settled team. And I know injuries happen, but you can't make that many changes. That's that's just silly. That's just really silly. Yeah, and I mean, the other issue, obviously, is that they've run out of games for it now. Consistency and cohesion is not going to appear suddenly in the last four games of the season. It just isn't. Um, it, it's obviously going to continue to be this up until the end of the campaign. They've got to find moments in matches now, I think, rather than performances which are going to get them points. Um, the problem there is, one, it's not happening at the minute. They've scored seven, seven goals in those ten matches since they last won. It's not a good trend, is it? Let's be honest. Um, and the other one is obviously at the other end of the, t- the other end of the pitch. If, if you're not scoring goals, you have to keep them out, and they don't at any point. They don't keep clean sheets. That that one nil win over Leeds, I think that's their only clean sheet since. I mean, I'm back to January, and I didn't find another one yet. So who knows how long? To be honest, um, it's it's very very difficult. I think from this point, looking at the rest of their fixtures as well, they'll be Liverpool next. We know. Then it's Brighton who are flying this season. Then Brentford, who have had a great season themselves. Mm. Then Southampton, who are near the, who who are in the relegation zone, and that could be a make or break for both of those clubs, to be honest. Then Chelsea, which is not as hard as it normally is, but still. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's Arsenal, and then they yeah. finish Palace. I mean, I, I honestly don't really see where too many more points are coming from there. The, the hope for them will be that maybe Brentford have call to the season. Brentford are safe and maybe you catch them when they're on the beach and you maybe you get a point. They have to beat Southampton at home. There's yeah. just there's no other option. They've got to beat them at home. And then maybe on the final day Palace phone it in because they'll be safe. They'll have nothing to play for. And maybe Hodgson plays some reserves that haven't played a bunch this season. And maybe you catch them cold and maybe you pick up three points there. But that's seven points. Yeah, even that only puts them 34. I don't think that's going to quite be enough. They now, need... the only reason it might be enough is because Everton also have a really tough run in. Mm-hmm. And so do Leeds. So maybe the dreadfulness of other teams will keep them up. That's their biggest hope, is that other teams continue to flounder. Like, Everton have Palace away, Newcastle home, Leicester away, Brighton away, City home, Wolves away, Bournemouth away. Now, Wolves away, Bournemouth, sorry, Wolves away, Bournemouth home. They might be safe by the time you play them, so maybe you get six points from those games. But this Everton team doesn't look like they're capable of winning back-to-back games. Now, neither do Forrest, but Forest don't need to. Well, they do need to, but if Everton continue to make a mess of themselves, maybe, maybe Forest have enough to just get one point more than them along the way. And that's all it will take, is one point more than Everton. Leeds have Fulham, Leicester, Bournemouth, all decent enough teams at the moment. Well, no, sorry, <laughs> let me rephrase that. Fulham are a decent team. Leicester are awful, but are fighting for their lives now. Bournemouth are still battling for survival. Then they go City, Newcastle, West Ham, who we'll see what they're like at the time, and Spurs on the final day. So it's a tough run-in for them too. And Leicester also have a tough run-in. Let me just grab Leicester City's run-in now. And... Premier League matches. So Leicester have uh, Wolves next, which is both a Midlands derby and a game against a team that are still battling to stay in the division. Then they play Leeds, still battling to stay in the division. Then they play Everton, still battling to stay in the division. If those games end in draws, that's not going to be enough for any of those teams. Then Fulham, then Leicester, sorry, Fulham, then Liverpool, then Newcastle, and then West Ham on the final day. Leicester's is probably the easiest because they've got Wolves home, they've got Everton home, and they've got West Ham home. Plus that away trip to Fulham, who might not care all that much by the time they play. They don't need to care now. They are safe. But I don't know. I, I, I still 
I look at those four and I just think, you've all got difficult run-ins. You're all really poor. Like, there's no way around it. You're four poor teams. I think at this stage we can probably say that Southampton are going down. Um, So, you know, I still think Forrest have a chance. But they need to find some sort of consistency. And even if it's just that they decide we're just going to park the bus and we're going to be absolutely horrible to play against. But to make that sort of change at this point in the season is going to be tough. Like you mentioned, they don't keep many clean sheets. Only six this season. And the last one was back on the 5th of February. So, you you know, you kind of screwed that way as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the big thing Forrest have been missing, obviously, in that recent run of games is you talk about them being difficult enough games or not terrible results or, you know, you expect a team to beat them fine. But teams who stay up still get a result somewhere along the line in that yes. race. That's the thing. Like they, yeah, they... that's the thing. In isolation, they're not bad, but when you put them all together... Exactly that, yeah. It would be, you know, oh, a shock result over Tottenham today or whatever it is, but they would find it. They would get it. The teams who stay up inevitably do. They, they'll beat, you know, the, we talk about it usually from Liverpool perspective the other way around. You know, oh, there's a twist in the title race. Man City have lost to Nottingham Forest. But it's not happening for Nottingham Forest this season. You know, it's it's not the case that they are finding those bigger results, those really important wins over teams you wouldn't expect them to, other than, of course, Liverpool earlier in the season. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's the kind of one big shock win that they've had. Their other wins, West Ham, awful. Palace, pretty poor this season. Southampton, awful. Leicester, awful. Leeds, awful. They're, They're their wins this season. And sitting sitting there nice and pretty is a win over us. Now, you can argue that we're awful. And relatively speaking, compared to expectation, you could argue that we've been every bit as awful as those teams down at the bottom of the league because we should have been competing for the title and instead we're floundering in mid-table. They should have been floundering in mid-table and now they're down battling to stay up. You know, relatively speaking, it's a similar level of drop-off. They're... We're all about 25 points below where we'd like to be. Um, in fact, they're probably only 10 to 12 points below where they want to be, whereas we're, you know, 20 odd points off where we should be. So you could argue we've been just as awful. Uh, even the points they've picked up, you know, uh, Everton, Villa under Gerrard were dreadful. Brighton was a good point. Brentford was a good point. Chelsea are in a similar situation to us. Relatively speaking, they've been every bit as bad as those teams at the bottom of the league. Uh, Bournemouth. The City point is a really good one. And then Everton and Wolves. So they haven't... They haven't taken nearly enough points off teams in the top half. You're looking at a win over us. And what is it? Four or five draws. Now the Villa draw looks much better in hindsight. But you have to remember that it was the Gerrard Villa, not the Unai Emery Villa. They, they they need to start getting something from these games. They need to start making sure that they're not going to places and just making up the numbers. And I'm looking back just at some of the at some of the recent games. Like their last three games, huge changes to the personnel and assist and a system change for one. Um, they did play more or less the same team against Wolves and Forest in back-to-back games. In fact, exactly the same team, I think. And then he just threw it out and went with a different team against Villa because they lost to Leeds. Like, they got a point against Forest, lost to Leeds, and he just changed things. So at some point, we have to look at him as well and say, you've got to settle on something. Because in the last five games, they've played three different formations and only two games have seen the same team line up. Every other game, there's significant changes, both to personnel and shape. And when there's a change to the shape, it doesn't matter if it's the same personnel. You're asking them to play in different roles. Steve Cooper has got to do better 
moving forward. Now, I have found it interesting, Carl, that earlier in the season, there was a lot of talk that he was on the brink of the sack because they'd had, after beating West Ham in their first home game back, where there was a lot of emotion and the crowd really got involved and they got a little bit lucky with some refereeing decisions, they went on that horrible run where they didn't win a game uh, in their next nine. And there was a lot of talk that Steve Cooper was going to get the sack. There were managerial names being thrown out there. But they came out publicly, they backed him, and not only that, they gave him a new contract. And off the back of that, they started to improve. They got the draw over Villa. They, they got a draw with Brighton. They beat us. They drew with Brentford. And then their season seemed to start going, and it looked like they were going to be okay. They got themselves up to 13th at one point. And now it's all collapsed again and things are looking bad and the fans are getting a little bit antsy. And again, we started to see mention of Forrest might might move on from Cooper. But then they publicly came out and said that contrary to reports, we're fully behind Steve Cooper. Which for him has got to be great, knowing you've got that kind of backing. And I... I do feel like no matter what happens, he deserves the chance to start next season as Nottingham Forest manager. Because when he took over, like, let's be honest, that promotion last season is one of the great turnarounds we've ever seen in the championship. He takes over on the 21st of September. They have played seven games. They're 24th. They're bottom of the championship. Sorry, they were actually 22nd. They're bottom of the championship. Second, third bottom of the championship. And he takes them up via the playoffs. That's an amazing turnaround because they looked hopeless. And like you mentioned earlier, they'd been out of the division for decades. Not not years, decades. And you and me grew up in the same era. Forest were a top-flight team. You know, they went down under Clough, but then they came back up under Frank Clark, and they were a Premier League team again with Brian Roy and Pierre van Hoydonk and players like that. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Stan Collymore, obviously. But... He brought them back up. He ended that drought. He made them relevant again. No matter what happens, he should get next season, or he should get to start next season at the very least. And I do think it is credit to the club, where there's been a lot of turmoil behind the scenes with the director of football leaving, there's been different scouts that have been sacked, and a load of nonsense going on. I do think it is credit to them that they have stood by him. Publicly twice. Once with a new contract, and then once with quite a strongly worded statement after reports on, now, reports in the Daily Mail and on TalkSport. But the fact that they immediately addressed that I thought was good. Yeah, I think it's fine as long as, you know, it's something you stick to and they certainly seem plenty of conviction uh, regarding Steve Cooper. I think they probably know they've got a very, very good coach and where else would you go? You know, you're probably looking at them go back to the championship for someone else or you know, someone who's been in the Premier League already like Dean Smith and not done a particularly good job. So I'm not really sure that there's huge upside to them replacing him at this point. Like you said, he's already brought them up once. There's no reason to suspect he couldn't do it again if they do go down. 
Felipe Giraldi is the sporting director who was sacked. I mean, six months of the job, 700 million players signed. Now they've got to bring in a new one to do his job, but also someone who's going to be able to offload a lot of these players. Whether they stay up or not, they can't keep them all. They can't just expect that Steve Cooper's going to be able to you know, ma- manage a, a squad as big as this one is again next season. Um, so there's a lot of work to do there, like you say, behind the scenes. But on the pitch... I do think that there are a few questions to be had of Cooper. I think maybe he's not been ruthless enough. Maybe he's not been able to be ruthless, like you say, with the injuries and that. He would have maybe left a few players out a bit sooner. But even so, I think there's, for my liking, much too too much chopping and changing. Um, like I say, it's not random. It's for reasons. He'll want a particular build-up player or someone underperformed or whatever. You've got to be able to take those players out and not just blindly stick to an eleven. But there's so much of it that there's, it's not lent itself to any kind of cohesion in the team at all. No, no, it hasn't. And that's, that's something he's going to have to address. And, you know, it's not just that there'll be players to leave. He'll have to bring in new players this summer as well because they don't own Dean Henderson or Kaylor Navas. So they're not going to have a choice on whether they're there next season or not. They're both gone. Uh, Renan Lodi is, is unlikely to stay, I think, either way. Now, they will at least have Omar Richards to come in as, as left-back next season. So, that'll be taken care of. Um, but you'd like, have to... Ma- Sorry? Like a new signing. Like, like a brand new signing. Like a brand new signing for them. Brennan Johnson isn't going to set foot in the championship again. I, I don't think Morgan White, Morgan Gibbs-White is, is going down with them. So, I think you're going to look, be looking to replace both of them. Um... You might keep a one e and, and Emmanuel Dennis. And if you go down with those two, I think those two in the championship, if you play them as a pairing, I think they could work very, very well. But it, it's everything else that's going to be big question marks. I mean, I, I don't think Felipe is going to sign up for a season in the championship. I don't think Nia Kant is going to want to go down. Players like Mangala might be okay with it just for a year and see what happens. Um... You know, so if they've got Mangala and Yates and Danilo they brought in in January, he probably stays. You probably move on. Froiler, I don't think he'll stay if they go down. Uh, I think Scarpa's okay to stay. So, like, Scarpa behind Dennis and Awani with Danilo and Yates and Mangala as a midfield three, that might be the base of what you go down with. And you say, right, that's what we've got. We've got our fullbacks, Nico Williams and Omar Richards. They're who we wanted to begin with, so we're go- we've got them. We know that in the championship, Joe Worrell is absolutely fine. And Scott McKenna is absolutely fine. So they're our centre-backs. We just need to find a goalkeeper. And we've got an 11. And then we can adjust accordingly. But you're going to be so wrapped up selling the rest and not wanting to bring down you know, some of the big wages, they might have to let players go. They might actually have to buy out some players' contracts because they might not find buyers and they might not be able to pay the wages. Like, I'd imagine Felipe's on fairly good money. He came from Atletico Madrid. I, I wouldn't imagine he came cheap in terms of wages. And he's got a contract, I think, till the end of next season. So you might have to pay him to go away. Jesse Lingard at least is out of contract, so you waive him and, and maybe follow him and make sure he goes somewhere else. But whoever comes in as director of football is going to have a hell of a job on their hands. And you mentioned the manager situation. The, the name that's been linked is Vieira. I, I just don't see how that would be a logical appointment at all, given where they are. The one that might have made sense is Dyche, but he's out of the picture now. You know, he, he I think, would have been happy... If not, he wouldn't have been happy if they went down, but he would have been happy to stay if they went down and rebuild and come back up because he's ex Forest as a player. It's where he cut his teeth. So he'd probably have been all right. And I think the fans would have been okay with him. But I don't see Vieira wanting to go down into the championship. And the other options were the short term options like a, like a Sam Allardyce, who nobody wants to see back, but it is the return of the dinosaurs with. Neil Warnock back at Huddersfield and Roy back at at Palace and, and both doing well, which is going to entice others to bring back the dinosaurs. But do you really want to go into the championship with, with Big Sam? Could you afford to go into the championship with Big Sam? Give him what he likely is going to charge? 
because he's got an inflated opinion of himself? I think everybody will now be hoping they stay up. (laughs) (laughs) Preferably not because of a result this weekend. No, preferably not. Now, we obviously come into this game off the back of a a comprehensive win, a performance that, for the first 30-odd minutes, as we talked about on Raw, wasn't great. Uh, There was a lot of sterile possession. But... The second half, we were we were ruthless and we were effective, and the new shape really did seem to start to hum quite a bit. We got excellent performances from a couple of players. Trent obviously has gotten a lot of the plaudits, barring his mistake that led to their goal. Ibu was tremendous. We talked about it on Raw. It was probably the best Andy Robertson performance maybe of the season. Fabinho looked. More like Fabinho, if a little bit slower. Curtis was outstanding. Gakbo took time to come into the game, but once he did, he was very involved and impressive. Mo got two goals. Jota got two goals. Virgil looked a bit more like Virgil, looked more comfortable in, in the game. Didn't have a whole lot to do, but he looked more comfortable in the game. So... There was a lot of reasons to be positive after that game, not just the scoreline. But we need that to not just be one game and then we start to struggle. You will remember that we hammered Bournemouth back in August and then struggled in our next game against Newcastle and needed a late, late win, a late, late goal to win. Then we drew with Everton and then got walloped by Napoli. Um... We beat Rangers 7-1, followed that up by beating City 1-0. Then we were poor at home to West Ham, and then we lost to Forest. And in our next league game, we lost to Leeds after a win over Ajax. And then, not that long ago, we beat Manchester United 7-0, and then went the next game and lost to Bournemouth, then lost to Real, then lost to City, then had a horrendous performance away to Chelsea. Drew nil-nil, should have lost the game. And then we drew with Arsenal in what was a weird performance where we were really, really bad for half an hour and then really, really good for the rest. Off the back of that Leeds game, we need to be good again. We need to to start finding some form because it is a favourable run-in for us. Like, there's some good teams in there, but these are all teams that we should beat. The two best teams we play are Tottenham and Villa. We have them both at Anfield. Other than that, you're looking at at Forest this weekend, a very bad West Ham team, a Fulham team that might have packed up and gone home for the season, a Brentford team that are similar, a really bad Leicester, and then a really bad Southampton. Like, this should be a good run of games for us, but we can't go into them with the same attitude and approach as we have to other poor teams this season like Bournemouth, like Wolves. These teams have beaten us this season. They're awful. We need to go into this game with the right mindset. I think mindset is massive for us this year. I don't know whether it's the lingering hangover from last season or whether it's too much confidence overlooking teams, but we just haven't performed well enough against the bad teams this season. And... We have to ensure that against Forest on Saturday, we put forward a strong performance. Because if we put forward a strong performance, Carol, we will win the game. Because the talent is the talent, and we just have a lot more of theirs. If we perform at a decent level. If we perform at a, a decent level, I think we should wallop them, to be perfectly honest. Um, to ensure a decent performance, I would be looking at the opening 15, 20 minutes of the match. And if we haven't been playing well, make the subs then. I would love to see it. I know it won't, but I would love to see it because so many of these bad games that we've had, we've started slow, we've been sloppy in possession, we've been lacking concentration at the back, and you can see after 10 minutes how the game's going to pan out for us. Unless there's like some mad catalyst, which isn't a normal thing, like, you know, Shaka riling up the crowd or something like that, that Arsenal performance would have just petered out into nothing at all. We've seen it dozens of times this season already. You can tell 10, 15 minutes into this weekend against Forest how Liverpool are going to play and what the result's going to be. Everybody can see it coming a mile off. 
And that is both when it is really good and when it's utterly atrocious. So it has to be, like you say, the mindset. It's got to be very, very forward thinking and very, very aggressive. We've got to be playing a bit quicker and looking to dominate um, not so much possession as territory, I would say higher upfield. We did it really well against Arsenal. Leeds was much more a game of transitions and the fact they have no defence whatsoever. But against Arsenal, that second half, we just kept them pinned back all the time, like it used to be the case. And so the speed and power, which isn't so much there this season, it wasn't so much of a factor. I think that's probably what Liverpool need to be doing now to see out the season. Yeah, I mean, our first four goals against Leeds are all transition goals. They're all turnovers. And we just punish them because they're... They're bad defensively in all phases, but they're particularly bad on two areas. One is transition and the other is set pieces. We didn't punish them on set pieces, but we tore them apart in the transition. Forrest are a little bit more competent in transition, but at the same time, they're not a good defensive team this season. That's just the fact of the matter. They've conceded 56 goals, which is the second worst in the division, sorry, the third worst in the division behind Leeds and Bournemouth, both of whom we have walloped. Uh, They're slightly better defensively than Leicester, who are also an absolute atrocity. Um, Sorry, slightly worse than Leicester, who are an atrocity. Um, Carl, I would only make one change from the 11 that started. I would make one change. I would start Thiago. Thiago for Henderson. Yeah, that's the only change that I think needs to be made. I think Curtis Jones played really well, like really well. And I think for the last three games in a row, he has been comfortably the best midfielder in each of them, and the best starting midfielder in each of them. I think Thiago, when he came on against Arsenal, probably overshone everybody. But I think he's been comfortably the best of the three in each of the last three games. And Henderson just didn't play well against Leeds, and he hasn't played well all season. He was really poor in the uh, Chelsea game. He was poor against Arsenal. He was poor in that City game. Really poor. Everybody was poor in the City game. But he's just not good enough. Is is the simple fact of it. He just isn't good enough. And I would play Thiago. Now whether that means that you play Thiago on the left and Curtis on the right or it's just a straight swap where Thiago came in, comes in on the right, I don't really care. I know there's slightly different roles, but I don't really care. Thiago needs to start and needs to be over Jordan Henderson. He is the weak link in the team. He has been for two years. It's time that Jürgen just owned it and said, look, Jordan, go and sit down. It's, it's, you, you've had your day. We're moving forward now. He's going to be replaced in the summer anyway. You might as well start that transition now. Yeah, I mean, I personally would still make another change in attack as well. Um, I know he scored twice and an assist, and that sounds like a really, really good game, but Jota's performance was still fairly horrific. But whether you do more damage taking him out... Um, after That's that, the concern. That that would be obviously be the, the deciding factor there, I think, because we're, we're not at a point where we can afford to make players feel worse than they already are performing. Mm. So maybe starting him again. But I, I agree with you. I think after, let's say, Allison, Salah, Canate, Trent, I think Jones is next on my team sheet. I, I think he's been absolutely brilliant um, for the last two games. I think over the three, as I said, he's been our across-the-board best player, best performer. Um, yeah, fourth start in the row would be completely merited for him. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, and I think... Again, it's a confidence thing as well. Like with like with Jota, like I agree, Jota did not play well against Leeds. That's about as bad as you can play, and still have the output that he had of scoring two goals and getting an assist. Um, but I, I, as I said to you and Car, you and Trev on Raw, I do feel like the reason Klopp was continuing to force him into the team was to try and get him a goal and kind of spark his confidence back into into action. Because he is a confidence player. He was that way at Wolves as well. That's why he's a streaky goal scorer. So I feel like having gotten his goals, and the second one had that, had that little bit of luck that he hasn't had all season, 
Yeah. I feel like it would do more damage than good to bring him out. So if you're going to bring one of them out, I think Gakpo the, is the one to bring out. I don't, I don't think you can drop Mo. Now you could maybe rest Mo if you wanted to, and maybe you could play Diaz on the right where he came on at the weekend, but he took Mo off against Leeds, which is generally a tell that Mo starts the next game. Mm. If, if there's one to come in, I wonder if it's in place of Cody. Because I think he will start Jota after the two goals. He'll want to continue to try and build his confidence. And Look, there is a possibility that what he's actually trying to do is rebuild Jota's value because maybe they're looking at Jota as we need a big sale this summer because we've got an awful lot to do and you're the most expendable of our forwards. But if you haven't scored in a year, no one's going to want to pay good money for you. But if you end the season with let's say, seven goals across the last nine games and a couple of assists, and people think, oh, well, Jota's back, maybe then we get a big fee for you. Because you look at the other options we have to sell, the only other option that could get a good fee, and by good fee I mean 30 million plus, is Harvey Elliott, who Jürgen is not going to part with this summer. So... I, I do wonder if there's an element of that, of, of whether Jürgen's trying to inflate Jota's value in the hopes that maybe the Newcastle interest is real and they come in with somewhere in the region of £45 million for him. It's possible. Um, I don't know how much focus there would be on that right now, to be honest, because there's so much to actually sort out in terms of points and, and performances and places in the table. But, yeah, I think on balance, you're probably right. Um, I would very, very much like to see Darwin start, and I think it's an odd situation, as I've said before. Mm. Uh, his use or lack thereof in the last couple of games, and if anyone needs building up before next season, I would like it to be Darwin Nunez before Diogo Jota, to be perfectly honest, because I think there's far more upside there. But Agreed. But, but I will say, Darwin's goal was the goal of a player full of confidence. The run, the control, the composure, the touch just to steady himself, and then the finish. That was the goal of somebody who is fully believing in himself right now. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any confidence issues with Nunez at all. I think it's much more an integration into the team thing. You know, where did he score that goal from? Middle of the penalty box, number nine, position he's been in all the time. He knows what he's doing, he hasn't got to think about anything playing on the left for us in a slightly different system with slightly different requirements on him. I'm not saying it's a bad thing because he's been monster in some games for us. It definitely is. And even if he becomes a first-choice starter, you still want him rotating between the two depending on who you're playing against. But to not have him in at all at the expense of Gagpa, who has been hot and cold, I would say, since he signed, I think that's completely fair to say, and Diogo Jato, shit. <laughs> it's, it's very odd I just find it completely weird the use of him and I don't really think he's deserved it to be honest even if he's not been at his own best either no but the thing with Darwin is if, if we look at his his time at Benfica it was kind of the second season where he really did begin to show the full box of tricks and I think the hope will be that this was kind of the settling in season there's been there's been a lot of crap around him, you know, in terms of how the rest of the team have played. And I think there's a belief that if we put a good enough team around him, he will absolutely explode next season. And I, I do think that's going to be as our number nine. I think next season, Darwin will go into the season as the nine. Now, like you said, I think there'll be games where he plays left wing, where maybe Diaz needs to sit out. And Gakpo is a better fit through the middle. But I do think next season we'll see a lot more of Darwin through the middle. And I'm I'm very much excited for it because there was a glee in Trent's face when Darwin made that run. You could almost see Trent in his mind start to celebrate that someone had made that run. Because Gakpo doesn't make those runs regularly enough. Jota doesn't make that kind of run. And doesn't like that kind of pass. He wants it into feet. Mo doesn't make that run because he's coming from the other side. And it's not a run that Diaz makes either. So with Trent, like there's been moments this season. Like this this role is new recently. But he did 
play something similar early in the season and the runs weren't being made and when he would try that pass it wouldn't work out and this time he looked up and there was that run being made it was perfect so I do think Trent and Darwin next season is going to be something special um it's just about putting the right pieces around them we know Mo will be good we know Diaz will be good the the three midfield roles are the one that need ones that need to be addressed and I think that left side left side defensive role needs to be addressed as well um, I think when Diaz is in the team, there'll be far less need for the left-back to bomb forward in this shape. Because Diaz will hold the width a lot better. And that's why I think they are looking to bring in maybe a left-sided centre-back who can play left-back. So I wouldn't be surprised if Andy Robertson isn't an every-game starter next season. If the right player is available and, and you know affordable. And again, this is why I think maybe they're looking at Jota and thinking, right, we might move you on because we've got a lot to do and it is going to get expensive. Um, so are we in agreement then that we would stick with the same goalkeeper and back four? Mm-hmm. We'd bring Thiago in for Henderson? Yes, but I don't think we will. Uh, if No, probably not. Another three out of ten performance coming up. Um, and then if Darwin starts, I would start him over Gakpo, even though I thought Gakpo, once he got into the game against Leeds, did play well. But I think you, you've got to stick with Jota after the two goals while we're trying to at least rebuild his confidence. Because even if he does stay next season, he's still going to be a confidence player. He's not going to change. And I think you want him ending this season on as much of a high as possible. And look, if he has a good game against Forrest but doesn't score, I think it's actually easier to leave him out because he'll have played well. And you can say, look, you've, you've had a run. You, we're going to give you a rest. We're going to try Diaz um, rather than, you know, that Leeds game where he gets his goals and kind of you could see the weight lift off them, lift off him. Uh, so I think yeah. it's important in to start him. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, that's fair. And then, you know, West Ham's only, what, four days or something anyways. Yeah. There will be a couple of changes at least. Exactly. Uh, Right. Give me a prediction. 3-0. Ooh, I like it. I do like it. I'm feeling rambunctious. I'm going to go 4 0. Go on. I'm going to go 4 0. I, 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 there's, like you said, if we play decently, we should wallop them. Like if we, if our, if the attitude is right, we should wallop them because we should look our way into a couple of goals because they'll make defensive mistakes. You mentioned Felipe earlier on. I mean, Dale Upamecano did a Felipe impression last night. Dale Upamecano's performances in both legs against City are among the worst I've ever seen. For for a two-legged showing, it's among the worst I've ever seen from anybody in Champions League. Um, So, you know, Felipe, that's basically him on a weekly basis. I'll never understand why he was brought to Atletico Madrid. He's just not very good. Um, right. Have you? End, you're on holiday, so you'll have nothing to plug. When are you back to to civilization and real work? Weekend. Okay, so you'll be back to real work on on Monday, I assume. 
Um, well, we'll be back <laughs> next week for uh, Liverpool versus West Ham, and we'll try and try and throw another one in there. Uh, you'll note that we're just about the tight hour, which I think, Carol, what, what that proves to me is that neither yourself nor myself are the issue here. The issue is the absent Guy Drinkle. He's the reason we end up going so long. I've said this several times over, to be perfectly honest, and I think for next season, that's that's where we need to improve as a team. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll give Guy the, the guidance he needs and the encouragement, but we'll also leave him in absolutely no doubt. This is all down to him. Yeah, 100%. I think we might need to start calling him Gus a little bit more often. He won't hear this, so it's fine. Uh, he's in Mexico. Uh, sunburnt as all hell. Right, that'll do. Thank you as always for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.